Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. I am really happy to have my guest on tonight. David Britton is somebody that uh, we we talked a little bit before the uh, interview, and we don't remember how we got connected, but we got connected. And I had made a note to listen to his album that he released last year called The History of the Universe and forgot. I was reminded to listen to it, and I listened to it and was totally blown away by it. It's very, very funny. And he uh, recorded this album at the Comedy Attic, one of my favorite clubs I've ever been to. Also, a, uh, a writer does some comedy writing uh, for places like uh, The Hard Times and uh, other places like that. So I want to talk about that. It's David Britton. David, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me on, Scott. Uh, like I said, I was just listening to an old episode and really enjoying your Greg Warren interview. So I'm happy to be on the podcast. Yeah, I uh, when I, I I go into these uh, when I listen to somebody's album, I go into it with no expectations because I think you and I both know that uh, some people put albums out before they should. And uh, <laughs> and with yours, I was so um, I was so pleasantly surprised because I mean you've got just about everything in this album that you can you can put in as far as uh, as far as silly stuff, uh, social commentary, um, just everything that you can put in there, and you do it and you put it all together in this uh, in this cohesive. cohesive uh, album that goes uh, from one bit to another so seamlessly, and it seems to me like it it just really drew me in without knowing all that much about you before I listened to it. So really good job with that. Well, thanks. It was, uh, I, you know, in hearing your podcast, and a lot, I, of course, listen to a lot of podcasts where it's two comedians mm-hmm. talking about the process, because that's very interesting to us as comedians i was talking to my uh girlfriend just a little bit ago and she like paints houses for a living Uh and she was talking about like how she was watching all these videos about ladder safety and she's like it's interesting (laughs) to me because i don't want to fall and die and i'm like okay well that's then you kind of get it that's what i'm gonna do this is like my hour talking about ladder safety to like yeah process (laughs) behind it there was a great old uh tv show with i forget who it was like much like this and whoever was the host was talking to jerry seinfeld and the jerry seinfeld was like this show's never gonna work and the guy's like why and he's like because who wants to listen to two comedians talking yeah like what would be the point right i don't think it's true i think it is interesting you know i'm being a little facetious and the funny thing is is you know i my my listenership is like all over the world, but it's almost all um, 
either aspiring comedians or people who just want to know the behind the scenes. And, and I, I enjoy that because I get pretty good feedback from, from a, a lot of folks about, you know, I took away this nugget from this interview and I, I always right. hope that I, I give everybody at least something they can take back and get better because, you know, I, I started comedy when I was, 52 and I'm just trying to learn as much as I can to be as good as I can. I don't want to, I don't ever want to be um, famous or anything like that. That's not my goal, but I just want to make people laugh when I get on stage and uh, everything I learned from this, I go back and listen, even though I have to hear my stupid voice. I yeah. uh, enjoy, I enjoy uh, re-listening to stuff. And even if it's been a year ago, I'll re-listen and uh forget what I did learn and yeah. make sure to make notes of it. But uh, let's, let's talk about the album. I, I want to go there first because I enjoyed it so much. Uh, so I want to, I, I really, I, I want to get into the first, the first track and the last track yeah. on the album because those are um, two, probably the most interesting. Yeah. yeah and so. so, I mean, you start off as a, um, a drunk comic that is I, I, you're kind of play acting as a drunk comic who doesn't yeah. really understand the whole fact that you're doing a set and it's being recorded for an album. Where, yeah. where did that idea come from? Well, I, I think uh, a lot of influences in a lot of places, but one definite influence. And when I say it, comics will be like, Oh yeah is that Rory Scovel, I don't know if you know Rory Scovel, yeah, but amazing yeah. comic. He would come out and be, I think, German for the yeah. first five minutes of his set. And of and he's famous. There's a, a thing I call comic famous where all the comics know yeah. who Rory Scovel is. Right. But the average person on the street is like, I don't, I don't know. Mm. Like there was somebody super fit. I think I brought up John Mulaney the other day and my friends were like, I don't know who that is. My non-comedian yeah. <laughs> friends. So it's just like, but so you go to this show and you see this guy come out and he's German for the first like several minutes and you're like, you just don't know. And so it occurred to me, and I'd seen other other things where people would start off, and it just occurred to me that the first five minutes or so, no one knows who you are. You could mm. be anyone and say anything, and if you sell it, they're gonna buy. They believe it. Why wouldn't they believe it? Uh-huh. People don't normally think you're trying to trick them. Yeah. And we talked a little bit before we started recording about the fact that you felt that that was more of a visual bit. And yet I only heard it on audio. And I, I mentioned that I understand the commitment to the bit because... I was hearing it only on audio. It's 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 funny because you you're you're more aware of time passing and and the fact that you are keeping this going and you're keeping people on the edge of their seats because they don't know. I I, I can just imagine they didn't know exactly how to react and and yeah and, and I I thought that was really cool because it wasn't necessary. It was more performance art than 
comedy almost it was it, even though it was funny it, it was it was and i compared you to like an andy kaufman type bit it was you know it, there was true commitment there and i was wondering where the hell is this going to go even though i knew there were a lot more tracks on the album <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're like they would have pulled this guy off stage yeah <laughs> after if i had done that for eventually they'd be like hey you need to go yeah uh, um I really, um, and that's the other thing in that bit, I will say is I uh, I always, and I say it at the end of the bit, what I'm drinking is uh, cranberry juice. Uh-huh. Oh, and this is the thing, I, I, I really, I've got to do stuff that makes me laugh, and I think all comics know this. You have to start from, this makes me laugh, and then you could work from there. Yeah. Um, but it, it made me laugh to do it, and I would go back into the kitchen, and I would get a cranberry juice but in a short glass so it looks like a cocktail glass uh-huh. and then i would put a lemon a lime a cherry like every a sword everything they had an olive just everything yeah. into it so it would look the most ridiculous i could make the drink look uh-huh. first of all that was a big part of it for me so i i'm glad you can tell that i'm acting drunk uh-huh. and the other thing is i didn't want to oversell it i didn't want to be like hi Right. Like yeah, where, you were. You I were didn't coherent. Want to like a comedian yeah. pretending to be drunk. I wanted to seem like a comedian who was drunk. Yeah. So there's some acting involved. Right. For sure. Yeah, you pull it off. And how did that evolve? You. It, it's obvious that wasn't the first go around with that. Uh, so right. how many times did you do that before you felt like, hey, I'm going to put this on the album? I, you know, I think it's one of those bits that it's so weird that it did well the first time I did it. Of, the thing is, you talked about the comedy attic being a club you love, and mm-hmm. I was very, very lucky to uh, when that club started, and it's still in the same place. It was like ten minute walk from my house. I could uh, walk there. Yeah, and so I went there every weekend. I saw everyone when I started performing. Once I did well enough at the open mics that the owner decided I was a comic. Uh-huh. You know, I could try stuff there, and it's such a good club that like. And the audience, the audiences there are so good because they're people who come back over and over again. Right. Lots of times you're at a comedy club and the people who are there, it's like, oh, this is our first time seeing stand-up or this is our second time ever seeing stand-up. Uh-huh. But you go to the comedy attic on a weekend, 50% of the audience are like, oh, yeah, we come here every month. This yeah. is like we see comedy all the time. So they are ready and primed to see something different. Mm-hmm. So then it worked well the first time I did it, luckily, and that gave me the confidence to, like, do it a bunch of other places. Mm. And I'd seen a bunch of, like, weird comics perform weird, like, kind of bits before. So it gave me the confidence to keep doing it. Mm. So, yeah, by the time the album came out, I had been doing it for, like, you know, a year or two, something like that. Mm. And... Let's talk about the Comedy Attic a little bit because uh, I've only been able to go there a couple times, but both my kids went to IU and were, you know, they were regulars while they were in school. And there's some sort of magic about that club that it, you know, I, I had Todd Glass on a few weeks oh, ago. Oh, I love Todd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, that's his favorite club. And, you know, Marin goes there to work out new stuff. Yeah. And they all say that the club itself is just magical. And 
the the way it's run and it's a true comedy club and i think that's why they bring people back over and over again because if you go to a average run-of-the-mill comedy club uh you know that there's going to be people who don't behave like they should and sure. it's gonna it's gonna fuck up the comic and everybody's gonna be um it, it's just not going to be the experience that you would expect from a comedy club and yet the comedy attic is like hey this is how you're going to act when you walk in here you are going to be appreciative of the comics you're gonna yeah. um you're gonna you're gonna sit there you're gonna laugh you're not gonna talk keep your phones in your pocket all the all all that type of stuff is all the things you out. wish they would say at every club yeah 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 but they really back it up and for some reason that atmosphere i think i think when they started it they probably had to enforce it but they've created an atmosphere where when you walk in it's just kind of like common knowledge that you have to act like you are um uh, an adult human being and even if you're yeah. drinking don't interrupt the comic and let them do their thing yeah it's definitely a cyclical thing because like they started out that way and Jared, the guy who owns it and runs it is very, well, that's, I don't know what's going on. I think my iTunes just suddenly decided like, I'm going to start playing something. Oh, really? I'm not I hearing it. So that's good. <laughs> it's probably, Oh, uh, Oh, and weirdly enough, it's, it was my album. Somehow it decided to start <laughs> playing. It's like when the label sent me, that was very odd. I don't know. What was up with that. <laughs> uh anyway what was i oh so jared is very jared who owns and runs the club is very very particular about how things go mm -hmm. so he was like that from day one and then that made the club good and then that made regulars who would come like every week or all the time mm -hmm. and then those people already know so yeah it, and then that made the club better so it was just this cycle of like everything's gonna be and I mean, there's still hecklers and people there sometimes. It's not perfect, but, and it, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned Todd Glass because for a while, the video at the beginning of someone being like, don't be on your phones, don't, was Todd Glass. He recorded yeah. it for the club going like, and you know, Todd, everything's a tangent of a tangent. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that video was, it was the video for like a year or two of him being like, Oh, and by the way, if you're upset by this now, then you're probably the person we don't want here. Yeah. And everyone else around you is enjoying <laughs> what I'm saying. And they're going, you know what, Todd? You're right. And it's just yep. great. <laughs> I'd love to see that video again, actually. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to ask him to send that to me if he's got a copy. Because, I, I mean, he's one of my all-time favorites. And he's oh, me just, too, me too. Yeah, he's just a, he's a nutty, nutty, nutty guy. And I, I love him. But uh, so... You, I, I'm going to jump to the, the last bit because it's, I, I think it's the longest bit on the album. And yeah. I know this is like a lot of sweat and blood. And this is like, this is like all of your creative consciousness uh, just rolled into this bit because it's, it's almost 10 minutes long. And I want, I want to hear about the evolution. I want to hear how this whole thing started. And the last bit is called the history of the universe where you give your version of the history of the universe, which is just absolutely hilarious. Uh, well, thanks. Uh, I, I'm glad you like it because a lot of audiences, I worked on that bit one whole summer and I told mm -hmm. myself, 
how it started, uh, there's this show in Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, called An Evening with the Authors. And mm. uh, this guy, Jim Lugers, came up with the concept. And I remember him messaging me and being like, do you think it would be funny to do a show with comedians pretending to be authors? And they'd come up and they'd make up a character and they'd make and then they'd come up and read a chapter from their fake book. Uh-huh. And I was like, yes, that's the best idea I've ever heard, obviously. Yeah. And so uh, we would do like once a month we would do and they're still doing it. It's called An Evening with the Authors. And so I did the first one. I would do it almost every month. Mm-hmm. I love that show. And uh, one time I decided I'd write The History of Indiana is what uh-huh. I do. Uh-huh. And I thought it would be fun to do the history of Indiana starting with like, how far back do I want to go? I'm like, Oh, I'll go to the big bang and get it through to, I don't know, Mike Pence. I don't know. (laughs) So the genesis of that bit was me writing the first part where I'm like, second one, the big bang, like, uh, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, we did the show and I think it only went so, so when I did it at Mm -hmm. that show, uh, but I liked it myself. And I'm like, well, I want to develop this. So I want to turn it into its own thing. Mm-hmm. And I was just so determined. And I would do it at shows. And sometimes it was the wrong audience and they'd hate it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it was the right audience and they'd love it. And But I never gave up on it. Mm-hmm. And at the Comedy Attic, they would do every summer in place of the open mic, they would do a summer long because the students are gone. So they need to do something that would bring in a lot of people. So they do a summer long contest uh, where every week you go up and you make it from round to round. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, if I make it to the finals, I'm doing my history of the universe bit. Uh So I just kept working at every place I went and I kept adding to it and I would think about it all the time. I spent a whole summer, maybe a whole year thinking about that bit yeah, and just adding to it. And then when I got to the competition, I'd actually won the competition the year before. And so then also I felt more, and you hear comedians say this all the time. Once I got a little bit of success, I felt more free to really experiment. And that club is good for experimenting. And I'm like, if it's going to work someplace, it's going to work here. So I made it to the finals and that's the bit I did at the finals. Uh, and it was 10 minutes, which is how much time you got. Right. I, uh, I, I guess I appreciate the, the amount of uh, comics. I mean, they're, they're trying to get 10 minutes of decent material for like their first three years anyway. And yeah. the fact that you put that much effort into into that 10 minute bit it it really shows and the the fact that you um made that the uh made made your album that title and you you ended on that bit it it just it just seemed to really work well with all the rest of the material that was with it because even though it's a standalone joke it seems like you're um comedy persona kind of took it to that point where um i mean you start out drunk and then then you build to this and the level of weirdness is really set up perfectly by the the way the album goes because you this album you get it's it's 
pretty obvious that you get steadily a little bit more weird as <laughs> yeah. as the album goes and it really it really made a, a good um, ending to that album and i actually re re-listened to it i think three times just so i could get uh make sure I heard everything uh, that I was missing when I was changing lanes and stopping at stoplights and stuff like that. So it was, it was well, you good. probably heard it more than me at this. Yeah. Point, <laughs> that's not true. I had to listen to it a bunch when we were editing yeah. it. So. Now, as far as the album concerns, I, I, I always like to um, try to get into the nuts and bolts of putting an album together because I know that it takes uh First of all, a lot of work, and second off, you got to find the right people. When right. you had the idea for the album, from the time you had the idea to the time you were able to release it, how much time was that? Oh man, it took forever to release, and you know, this was not actually my first album, but it was my first full-length album. Okay, it was my first album on a major label. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, on tour records is i don't know if you would even call it a major label because most people haven't heard of it but it was a real label where i don't want to say my friends other things weren't real labels but they were yeah. much smaller yeah this is an album where this is a label that had like Stuart huff and other mm. like uh who's also one of my favorites um i don't know if you know him but that's a guy you should definitely yeah he was out. my second interview yeah oh, okay yeah, well, great. He, well then you know i love Stu. yeah um so the you know i never i wasn't planning on doing an album exactly what happened was that i had moved to new york and i was upstate new york uh mm. because uh my girlfriend got a job upstate new york teaching and i'm like oh i'll go down to the city all the time which didn't end up being uh -huh. you realize that that's not really tenable yeah uh but uh i was out here and I was doing shows and I was get you know, I was doing shows in like Albany and like Kingston, New York. And it was fun, but it was just like being in the Midwest in a lot of ways. But I was just keeping my chops up and trying to keep writing. And then Jared called me from the comedy attic. And I think probably someone canceled. And I had mm -hmm. featured there a bunch. And he was like, Do you want to come headline? And I was like, Oh yeah, I'll check my calendar. And he's like, Come again. And I was like, I mean, yes, of course, obviously. <laughs> He was like, what are you saying? I just asked you to headline one of the A-list rooms. And you were like, let me check my calendar. And he's like, there's nothing you're doing more. Are you having a baby? And I was like, oh, yeah, you're exactly right. So, and I knew uh, Ross from Ontario Records from, I'd recorded one other thing with him that was supposed to be a compilation that ended, didn't end up going any place. Mm. And... um I just knew him from, he had put out my friend uh, Matt's album. Uh, so I knew I was going to like have five shows to try mm -hmm. to get it right. Uh, so I got a whole, I emailed him. I'm like, Hey, I'm headlining the comedy attic. He had been complimentary about some of my past sets mm -hmm. and said nice things. So I was like, Hey, will you come record this weekend for me and maybe put out an album? And he was like, yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. So it was never me. Like I'm going to put out an album. But I'd done like long headlining sets before, so yeah. I had it. Yeah, so that's just how it, so I was like, yeah, okay. I'll just go there and we'll see what we get. That's cool. Now, your style of comedy is, I, I, I like to think of it as more um, calculus than, uh, than uh, just 
simple addition and subtraction because you're not you're not a one-liner and you have longer bits that have a ton of tags in them that keep the laughs going and you you build to a crescendo you you let them breathe a little bit and then you bring it back up again i know it it's almost like music when you when you try to do that kind of stuff how did you get into that particular way of writing and performing because it's it's by far the hardest way to do it uh and and still be a um like a headlining type draw because you you just have to be really good at it and those tags have to be really strong yeah you know um I actually love one-liners. Like when I started out, I, I think I wanted to be Stephen Wright. Uh -huh. Like he's one of my faves. And I have actually a ton of one-liners that didn't end up on that album because they just didn't work with what I was doing in that mm -hmm. case. And lots of times they don't, you know what you say, it, you said it, it's harder to do this, but in a way, one-liners are very hard to do because you just have to remember so much more. Yeah. Like I was right. like, I can remember these, like if I'm doing like a, a 25, 30 minute set, I'm like, I've got to do these seven or eight bits. I got to remember mm -hmm. those. If you're doing one liners, you're like, I have to remember these hundred bits. Like right. Emo Phillips is another guy who's amazing. Yeah. I can do like bang, 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 bang. Mm -hmm. Obviously Mitch Hedberg. Uh, and I love those guys. And I, so for me, Your uh, your mic just cut out. Can I help you? My computer is just like. Yeah, your yeah your mic cut out a little bit there. Oh yeah, Siri came on. Is like, can oh, I help you? Okay. I should probably stop saying her name. <laughs> like, what do you want? I'm like, I want you to go away. <laughs> I can't even. Yeah, so what I was saying, like, it, I'm, it's laziness in a way that, like, if I have an eight-minute bit, if I have five eight-minute bits, then I only have to remember there's those five things. Yeah. And then the but tags you gotta, come naturally. you got to make those eight-minute bits. You, you've you got to throw a lot into those eight-minute bits to keep keep people leaning in. Yeah, you got to make people laugh every, you know, some comics will say, and there's a it's a valid argument that you need so many laughs per minute or yeah. every few seconds or whatever. I think actually Stuart, I think it was Stuart who once told me is like, you don't have to get so many laughs per minute. You just have to make sure they're not bored. Yep. Yeah. You can't be boring. Yeah. You know? Um, and if you're, and he's a great guy who's super funny, but can also like be serious for like a minute which is forever yeah. on stage right. and have people like come along with him. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's very good at that. And oh, he's a master at it. It's a, it's, yeah. it's amazing. Uh, he used to, um, he used to do when I was up in South Bend, he did the drop comedy club quite a bit. And oh, I always that, really yeah. enjoyed when he did that club because he would come up with a notebook of brand new stuff and just say, Hey, 
I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna riff for a little while. Let, let me know how you like it. And it'd be so cool to get that stuff the first time or the yeah. second time or whatever. And uh, one of them is what he's uh, he's worked on that whole the whole hour about the the um, uh, the history uh, his whole hour on history. And it's just yeah. it's 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 really cool to be on the precipice of that and and see how it comes together. Yeah, I think that album, I can't remember what he ended up calling it, but I saw him working that and he was at some point during uh the set he says humans will fight maggots for a bad idea yeah something like that and he was thinking about calling the album that and i really wanted i was like that's such a great name it's so like do it it wasn't like sellable probably or he probably didn't like it like stewart doesn't give a shit about sellable i don't think anyway no he doesn't (laughs) he just probably liked the other title better yeah, no doubt. So I uh, kind of, I, I jumped right into the album, but I did want to know how you got into, how you first started doing comedy, what brought you to do it, and uh, when you started, and how it all came about. Oh, well, um, I always loved stand-up. Like, when I was a kid, I'm guessing we're around the same age. I don't know, but, like, no, I remember... There's no way we're even close. I'm 46. Oh, you're 52, you said. I'm 57, yeah. You're 57. Okay, yeah. well. But still, uh, in the comedy world, like, we're, yeah. I started at 36, which was also, like, kind of late to start. Uh-huh. Everyone's in their 20s now. I go to yeah. these shows. And, like, you feel like I still, with these 20-year-olds, I have more in common with them uh, than people my age just because we're comedians. I'm like, yeah. yeah I feel I the talk same. To you yeah. easier than my guy who's like my same age who's a dentist because what are we gonna talk about (laughs) but then they'll bring up shit where i'm like i don't know what you guys are talking about now (laughs) you're choking each other during sex that's (laughs) i can't remember what we oh so becoming a comedian so yeah i'd always loved it and like i'm sure you remember then uh comedy central before it was comedy central was the comedy channel yeah and all they showed was stand-up like it was almost almost all they showed was stand-up and so you turn it on and it'd be like stand-up clips stand-up specials and Mm -hmm. i just i would sit there and watch it for hours you know and but then it never occurred to me that's a thing a person could do my Mm -hmm. freshman year of college which would have been like 94 495 something like that there was a contest in like the uh the student union commons area i'm like 18 i get up there and i do jokes out of like my childhood joke book like i bought like Uh um and i think i stole i in fact i'm sure i stole i mentioned this on another podcast i just straight up stole the paul riser joke i'm 18 (laughs) i feel horrible about it now but i was just an (laughs) idiot who didn't I fully admit to being a, an idiot at that age. <laughs> so, but then I won the contest and I think I got like $50 or something uh-huh. and then never did it again for like, until I was 36 and they opened the club. Well, it was a funny bone and then became the yeah. comedy addict. And my friend, Matt, who I mentioned before, who's been, I should mention it. Matt Alano Martin has been super helpful to my career. Uh-huh. We knew each other as uh, musicians before that. But he was running a little show and 
he asked me to do it. So I went to Indianapolis and I did like an open mic to try it out. And it actually, you know, all comedians are also like, oh, my first few times were horrible. I sucked. I, I can't believe I kept it. But actually my first few open mics went well enough that I was like, oh, I could probably do it. And then later I bombed harder than anyone ever has. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have, oh, I know everything is turning into a tangent. But I will say this, when other comedians talk about bombing, I'm always like, oh, no, what happened? Are you okay? And they're like, yeah, man, just no one laughed. And I'm like, that's it? Shut up. <laughs> no one booed. No one good went, he needs to get off stage. And then the whole audience clapped. That didn't happen? <laughs> well, then shut up. Like that, you don't know when bombing. I bomb, <laughs> yeah, when, when I bomb, it's so, like, people are... I feel like lots of times when you bomb and I've had this too, the audience is rooting for you. They like want to laugh. They're like, sometimes it'd be like, like they want you to do well, but you're just not getting them. But sometimes when I bomb, it's like, we're mad at you. Yeah. We are, we hate you. Yeah. And like, uh, it's just, it's rough sometimes. Yeah. I I can, I can see you. uh, I I can see you turning an audience and I respect that about comedians that can do that. Just, just have them totally turn on you and start throwing their drinks at you and stuff. And I think that's, I think that's as entertaining as laughing for me. So (laughs) there was one night in, in Lexington, Kentucky, I think it was Lexington where I was bombing so hard that you felt this, they hated me. First, mm-hmm. they weren't laughing, and then mm-hmm. they actively hated me. And then there was this shift where, like, this is kind of fun. We hate this guy so much yeah. that we're kind of having fun again. Uh-huh. Like, I could feel that. And then they lit me from the back finally because it was, oh, man, that show is crazy. My friend Charlie was doing I hope you don't mind that I'm just turning everything into a tangent. No, I, that, I prefer tangents. The less I talk, the better. I disagree. (laughs) So anyway, my friend Charlie's doing this and it was a contest too. And she was, and she shouldn't have been in it because it was, she's very funny, but it was like, you're supposed to be clean. And she's like the dirtiest, dirtiest comedian. Uh, She's great. But was it Charlie Hester? It was Charlie Hester. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, all her songs are about her saggy boobs. Yeah. (laughs) God, she's, I miss Charlie. Uh, but anyway, so she's like, come do this with me. And I told him you were coming. And I think she had really built me up, like, as, like, some amazing comic. Like, uh-huh. that they would be lucky to be in the room with me. And so I got there, and they're like, oh, do you need anything? You're going to close out? Like, we're, we're counting votes. Do as much time as you want. Thank you so much for doing this. I was like, oh, yeah, no problem. They, like, uh-huh. thought I was a superstar. And then I went up there, and immediately in Lexington, Kentucky, I think I did an abortion joke, and they yeah. were – immediately off board and just and they lit me from the back that they were done counting votes and i'm like "Uh, i'm gonna do another five real quick just to fuck with him and the guy was like no no you're not (laughs) he didn't think it was funny at all i thought i had gotten to the point where i thought it was i always want to do well this is the thing that jared and i had talked about is he i think he's and other people got the impression that like i was trying to like i always want to get a laugh i'm never Mm -hmm not trying to make people laugh. That's always my goal. Sometimes I fail so miserably and I try to save it in this way that only makes things worse. But that's what was happening that Mm -hmm. night. And oh, the other thing was, is they were taping the show and I wanted a tape of that show so bad. 
next to my album it's the recording i most wanted and i went uh-huh. to the guys like can i get a recording of that and he's like well i don't know he was pissed at me he was just like i don't know i don't see and i messaged him and i was like please i'll pay you just because uh-huh. i thought it was so it was such a specific like weird moment but i never i never got a recording of it i want to see Aww. it again that's too bad. And does that answer your question? That neither yeah, of us does. probably and remember it, anymore. Yeah, I it, it's it, I've been I, I haven't been to the point where I've totally turned an audience completely against me because I, I I mean my stuff's pretty innocuous and pretty clean, but I envision myself really leaning into it and just totally making them hate me it, you know not not just not just not laugh but just absolutely hate me if i ever got into that situation and, and i'm not trying to make him hate me i'm like oh maybe they seem to not like me and i'm not doing well maybe if i say this thing uh-huh. that i think is funny in this moment that they'll think that's funny mm-hmm. like i think like in that moment like i did an abortion joke and they didn't like it in lexington kentucky and i'm like Oh, I know some of you are mad because you probably should have been aborted. Yeah. And I was like, maybe they'll th- like that seems ballsy and they'll appreciate it, but no, uh-huh. it was the no. exact, <laughs> people walking out. And, but I was that was me trying to save it and it didn't work. Yeah, yeah. So starting when you were 36, what were you doing before you did the stand-up? You said something about music. Yeah, I was playing drums in bands and uh I you know, I was working like a day job. Yeah. Uh, and I was playing music cause I, I love performing. Like I, I think of myself as a creative person, not that I'm like great at like, but that's what brings me joy is like creating stuff and then like presenting it somehow. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I got to the point where I was a decent drummer. I was never great, but I got to the point where like, you know, I was solid anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and then I tried stand up, uh, and that. I, I, it went well. And I was like, and then it got to the point where I started to get offers to do shows on the weekends. And I had to, I had to make a choice. I couldn't, it was unfair to the other members of my band to constantly Mm. be like, Oh, I got to cancel rehearsal again. I got to cancel. I wouldn't cancel shows if we had them booked, but I'm like, I've got to cancel rehearsal again because I'm going to do this show. Or they'd be like, Hey, we got a show. If you could do it. I'm like, Oh no, I already have a show booked at this Mm. other place. So, I just had to, and also I was going broke. So I sold my first year trying to do it professionally. I sold everything I owned. I sold my drum set. I sold my bike. I think I like anything that was worth more than 50 bucks. I sold. Yeah. (laughs) Now, when you start later, I mean, I started much, much later, but when you start later like that, so we we all see the twenty year olds that are doing it, and yeah. we we all know that they have to do um, a certain amount of dick jokes and eating yeah. ass jokes and all that kind of stuff that that is it's almost like a um, it's almost like a requirement, like Boy Scouts or something like that, that you have to get your merit badge for doing really shitty jokes that, uh, sure. that and not that it's sucking dick and eating ass isn't hilarious. It's yeah. 
I mean, sure, I'll give it to him. You got to say but something it, that someone hasn't said about it. Though, right, so. right. But at 36, you've had some life and, you know, ho hopefully a, a little bit of maturity. Do you feel like it was a little bit easier for you to get uh, better quicker because you started later? Well, I mean, I've eaten a lot of ass in my time. First okay, of all, well, let's get that yeah, out there. Yeah, uh, don't we all? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like, all I could ever do is what made me laugh. And maybe there was some of that I was, pat you know, I still have a five minute chunk that's about my dick. Like, you know, uh -huh. I, um, you know, we were talking about your interview with Greg Ward that I really loved. And like, there's some comedians who are like, oh, I'm trying to do this thing stylistically. And you said some nice things about my album where like, oh, you're doing this interesting, weird thing. Are you doing this thing? You mm -hmm. know, but comedy is hard enough for just to like, I've got to think it's funny. And then I got to convince you as an audience member, it's funny that I've never tried to find, like you hear comedians talk about, I found my voice uh, and great comedians who I love have said that. But for mm -hmm. me, it's already hard enough that the only thing I can ever do is like, oh, this thought occurred in, in my brain and it's funny to me. And now yeah. I'm going to say it to the audience. And if they laugh, I'm done. Because yeah. those two steps, that second step is hard enough yeah. without me adding a third step of like, I have to build a persona or I have to be a clean guy or I have to be a guy who talks about weed or uh -huh. politics. And that's why that album is kind of all over the place because there's some yeah. weird bits. I talk about politics. I'm sure I talk about sex. It's mm -hmm. just like, that's what was funny to me that day. And so that's, that's all I can do. I've never really tried to build a persona or voice. Like my voice is just my voice and sure. It's an amped up version of me. Mm -hmm. Now, when you think about the, you know, not really having a persona, what, what, what do you think about what's your right writing process like then? Because you say it has to be funny to you. Do you, are, are you like a, uh, uh, a hardcore writer that you write a certain amount of time every day or how, how do you put your stuff together and how do you bring it to the stage? I used to write in notebooks a lot more. Like I had notebooks full of stuff and uh -huh. I believe like, and this sounds so pretentious when I say it, but I think it's true that comedy is more akin to poetry than prose by yeah. which I just mean every syllable means something like when you said yeah. plantar fasciitis is just a funny like yeah. word it's true yeah. and like so you know babies laugh at like just when you go like blah 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 yeah like there's a certain sounds that make ba but babies might not laugh when you go like Rrr? like i don't know yeah like, there's certain <laughs> so i really used to i would sit down with a notebook and I would be like, oh, that's too many syllables. Or that, like, it just mm. doesn't, it has to flow in this very specific way. But now, more what happens is I have a germ of, I, of an idea. And just whatever's handy, if it's a piece of paper and pen, or if it's my phone, I just jot down one sentence or one word even. Mm -hmm. And then, theoretically, what I try to do is get on stage that night or as soon as possible and I'll talk it out of my head in my car. That's how uh -huh. I wrecked my car is I was like two in my head trying to <laughs> go through this bit in my head. But 
then I'll try to talk it out in my head and, and however I can, and then try to get on stage as quickly as possible and just be like, here's as formed as it is. Mm -hmm. What parts do you guys laugh at? What parts do you not laugh at? That's so funny because I actually am doing the same thing now because I used to do the same thing. I would write everything out and then I, it, it had to be perfect before I would even do it in an open mic. I, or I, I had to feel it was perfect and all the unnecessary words were out and everything yeah. was just put all together. And I, I decided that especially moving when we moved, I decided that, you know what, I'm going to put a premise. I, I get premise ideas all the time and yeah. I'm going to put it in my phone and I'm going to go on stage with four different premises and I'm going to work them out. And if I get any inkling of a laugh and I know I can do something with it, yeah. if it doesn't go anywhere, then that premise is probably either not good or I need to totally rework it. And I, I guess I feel freer when I do that. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't feel like I'm stuck in, you know, a certain amount of words or, um, you know, I, I, I'm pretty good at minding the clock and understanding, you know, I, I always have, you know, I always know what my opener and my closer is and then I can, throw stuff in between it and uh, toy around with it. And it, I, I don't know, I, I feel more creative when I do it that way than when I'm just sitting there writing. Yeah. Yeah. There, and like, you're right. I think it's good to start out that way and be like, because you understood the same thing. It was like every word and syllable matters in some way. Mm -hmm. And then I think once you've done it for a while, you start to do that on stage. Like uh, it, kind of forces you to say things you've been on stage enough you kind of realize the mechanics more and then you can you can mess around a mm -hmm. little bit more after a while and then i uh once i've done a bit long enough it does start to be more like these are the exact words and this is how this bit goes and i can mess right. around in between it but when yeah. i get into the heart of the bit then it's pretty much word for word because at that point i've boiled it down to this is the right way to do it. Right. Yeah. And it, it seems like, it seems like you almost, it feels better when you know you've got something, even if it's not fully baked, than if you spend all that time on writing and then you get up there and say you've put in, you've put five hours into a particular bit and then you get up there and you find out it just totally sucks. Whereas yeah. if you come up with a premise and you just mess around with it a little bit, then you can go back and make it into something when you know you've got something. Yeah. Comedy is so weird in that like you can, uh, you can work forever on something and then you have to have enough detachment to be like, Oh, I put all this work in, but that sucked. And mm -hmm. I either need to fix it or throw it out. You mm -hmm. know, you have to, you have to both care, care the most and also not give a fuck at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that's really hard to do. Yeah. I'm getting a lot of different uh, opinions about where comedy is going post COVID and the, uh, some people say it's going to blow up and be as big as the eighties. And some people say it's, uh, it's going to go by the way of, 
TikTok and YouTube and stuff like that. Uh, based on what you're seeing out there, what are you seeing as what's changed and what's stayed the same and what's gotten better and what's gotten worse? Um, people seem hungry for live comedy. And mm-hmm. I think people seem hungry for live events, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a bit that I've been doing a little bit where I talk about how like, oh, you never have to leave your home even before COVID because there's yeah. Netflix and there's YouTube and there's Grubhub and there's DoorDash. And there's like, you can see the best comedians in the world uh-huh. and get any food you want. Like, you know, you can watch Nate Bargatze and order Arby's delivered to your house. And I yeah. don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> like that's going to be so, but there is, I think, I also do a little bit of acting and right now I'm doing a thing where we're playing like a vaudeville uh, duo, uh-huh. uh, me and this woman. And at the and she wrote the, the parts for it. And at the end, uh, we talk about how like there's something about being in a live audience. And I think there's always going to be that. I don't think there's a replacement for being like you can see a holographic Tupac now. Sure. Yeah. But yeah. there's something about being in a live audience and being in the room with the person, whether it's music or comedy. Mm. So I believe, and I don't think it's just wishful thinking. I believe that that's a special thing that's not going any place. As far as comedy itself is concerned, I, I, you know, politics always change. Comics will complain like things are too PC or you can't say this, but I mean, that's always been true. It just changes every five to 10 years, yeah. you know, there's always like, no one's getting, you know, Lenny Bruce got arrested. We're not getting arrested. So yeah, <laughs> you can say cocksucker. Now you can't say other things, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking about coming up, um, when you were, when you were starting and through your career, what do you think is the best piece of advice you ever got? There's one really simple one that my friend Scott uh, told me he was, and this is just a real simple thing for comics starting out is Mm -hmm. like wherever there is on stage where you're blinded by the light and you can't, that's where you're supposed to be standing. Uh He told, that's just a real, (laughs) and I think a lot of advice that I have gotten is more esoteric and harder to, but that's a real simple one. It's like the reason it's so bright there is because that's where you're supposed to stand. Uh Uh Um, So that's, if you're listening, if you're a new comic listening to this, there's an easy one to implement. Yeah. Um, my friend Ben Moore, and maybe someone told this to him. He said to me, like, if it's not going to make you quit, it doesn't matter. Like, I have bombed harder than anyone, and I don't mean to brag, but I've bombed <laughs> harder than I think anyone in this industry. We're like a theater, literally full of 300 people, were like, boo, get off. Like, and uh-huh. I didn't quit. And then I went on to record an album and get the headline and get to do lots of cool stuff. So it's kind of true. If you're not going to quit, it almost doesn't matter. Good things matter and they advance you and bad things almost don't. If you're not going to quit, it it almost doesn't matter. Yeah, I like that. I like that uh, idea that uh, I've never I've never really thought of it that way. But uh, yeah, it, it really it really makes sense. And he, he said that to me, and he also said what I think is good advice. He said, "You have to care the most uh, all the time you're off stage, and the second your foot hits the stage, you have to not give a shit." 
uh-huh. which is kind of true. I think there's some nuance in that, but I, I do think there's a grain, there's more than a grain of truth in that. Uh-huh. Something to that where you put in the work, you put in all the work before you step on stage. And then when you get on stage, you have fun. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah. That, that, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's good stuff. I like that. Now you have been able to take the stand up and turn that into some writing that you do for like hard times in different places like that. How did that occur? Um, the hard times I had done a show with it. Well, if you want to, the hard times, basically, and they have a very open application process. You just go to their website. You can find, you know, you click on the right link and it says like, send us 10 or headlines. And mm-hmm. if we like them, then we'll put you in the group and you can pitch. So you just mm-hmm. have to, and you can apply as many times as you want, I think. Um, I had met those guys. I saw them. I did a showcase for them. So they say it doesn't help because people would ask me like, oh, can you get me in? And, I'm, and, I, and I would ask my editors. I'm like, oh, this guy is really funny. Can he? Uh-huh. And they're like, yeah, just send him to the website. Like they don't care. That's what they yeah. say. They're like, we don't care if your 10 headline pitches are good. We're going to basically hire you. Yeah. Um, and I had, you know, I was looking for jobs when I was doing, when I started trying to do stand up professionally, I was just like, I got to make some money because I had sold everything. And like, I'm like, I got to, but I wanted to do something related. So I was looking for writing jobs. I got a weird job writing for this movie website where I was like commenting on movies for pay. Uh And then a friend of mine was a writer and she's like, oh, this one website is hiring. And I sent them, it was the Daily Dot who I wrote for. That was my like 50% of my income for a while was writing for the daily dot. Uh And I got into writing stuff that wasn't necessarily comedically related. It was like viral news stories and uh, memes. Like Mm -hmm. it'd be like, there's this weird new SpongeBob meme that everyone's posting, like research it, figure Uh out where it started, why people are posting it, who made the first post, how it evolved. And they're like, research it and write it up. And I would think I was making like 10 bucks an hour or something doing that. And so I got good at, and the deadlines were real quick. It was like, write something, some viral news story would happen and there'll be like, and I'd get it in the morning and they'd be like, we need it by two o'clock today. So I'd have like five hours to research it and write it. So I got Uh writing very quickly. Um, So I got to where I could write, Uh you know, for, and it was a steep learning curve. Like I messed up stuff all the time. Yeah. One weird thing, you and I are uh, older than these young these young whippersnappers out there. <laughs> but I always remember it was two spaces after a period before you start the next sentence. That's what I <laughs> drilled into my head. And now suddenly they changed it. They're like, no, it's one space now. Yeah. My editors would be like, stop putting two spaces. And I'm like, <laughs> I was, this was drilled into my head my entire like adult life. And now I got to unlearn it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And now you hit the space bar twice and it automatically puts in a period. I sound yeah. so old right now. I'm like, I don't understand these yeah. and boops. <laughs> these darn word processors. Yeah, this word process. <laughs> well, even this time I was like, I don't know what's going on with my computer, Scott. I'm sorry. It's not. Yeah. 
Yeah, computers are definitely elusive, and uh, all, all the shit I have on my desk is elusive. Since I moved, there's like a ghost in the machine. It seems like something breaks every day, so it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, one of the things I like to ask everybody is, uh, what three things do you know now that you wish you would have known when you started doing stand-up? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, uh, I think that it, I should have known. It's okay. Like the thing I said about failing, like, it's fine. You're going to yeah. be fine. You're going to bomb. Like, you're going to think you're horrible. Like, it's fine. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, also, to not, oh, this is, I think, good advice that uh, my friend Tom had given me early on i wish i had known just to shut up and listen to people sometimes i thought i knew more than i did early on like yeah uh, we were on some show and tom it's tom takar who later who, who's now a very su successful comedian mm -hmm. but we were put on some show and the guy running it had put tom on like second and i'm like i went up to him and i'm like you should have tom closing he's super good like and Tom was uh -huh. like, hey, 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 don't go up to – sometimes you're even right, but you don't go up to the person booking the show and tell them, like, how – you yeah. got to choose your battles to some extent. Right. And as comedians, what I think some of the club owners and bookers don't know is that we're in a club or a show night after night after night after night, and or at least we want to be – and then they only see, they're only in their club. So we're like, oh, I've been to 10 clubs, you know, this month. And that thing, the clubs that do this, it works. The clubs that do this, it doesn't work. Yeah. And so you want to go to the club owner and be like, hey, don't do things the way you're doing them. Because yeah. I have seen this other thing work way better. Yeah. But they're going to be like, shut up, kid. You don't get out of here. <laughs> you're the host. You're lucky to get that job. Don't tell me how to. Yeah. So you just have to, I, I don't think I was being unhumble, but I was trying to be like, oh, I understand this stuff now. Where lots of times I didn't. Mm. If you just are like, if you just go up and do your job the best you can, which is make people laugh and you are just humble and polite, then it's fine if you bomb. I know mm. I've, lots of times when I've booked shows, I've picked comedians who were like, if a comedian's funny, but they're, they're a jerk, I'm like, I'm not booking that guy. Yeah. RV's a know-it-all or whatever. I'm like, yeah. I want to, I'd rather work with this guy who's funny, but not great than this guy who like kills, but is a jerk. Like, I don't want to work with that guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So just be humble. Just shut up, go on stage, do your jokes. Don't necessarily try to be funny off stage. If you have something funny to say, say it, but yeah. don't be in the green room. Try Like you get to, feature for pete holmes and you're like oh i gotta make pete holmes laugh in the green room yeah pete holmes doesn't care if you go and do well on stage and he happens to watch your feature set he's gonna care about he's gonna care about that yeah he's not gonna, you're gonna annoy people if you're trying to be funny backstage sometimes yeah i uh i i totally agree with that one nothing bothers me more than somebody who is on all the time yeah it it, it just it irks me because you know that's not the person that's the, that's not them because it takes so much effort to be on and just mellow out be a human just being for a while <laughs> yeah 
of course the flip and i agree with you and that's what i was saying but there is a slight flip side where it's like oh but i am kind of like this like i didn't choose comedy because i wasn't already like mouthy yeah you know like i i talk and i like am goofy anyway so Uh there's a certain part where like oh i am like that but yeah you're exactly right like yeah just mellow out just calm down (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're probably with some headliner who's been you know hung over for two days and like yeah would like to sit there and like have some fries backstage yeah <laughs> they they need some quiet time yeah <laughs> um great talk i really i really really enjoyed uh getting to know you a little bit better and uh i'll just say it again you know the history of the universe is it's a very very good album and it's one it's one of those you know i don't i don't listen to a lot of them several times through but it's one of those that i think i'll put on uh you know other times i'm driving and i don't have a podcast or something to listen to just because you know there's there's some real craft to that one and i i I really i really enjoy the effort that you put into it um well that means a lot to me yeah, yeah, and uh, and you know, you you did it right. So uh, I I've listened to a few albums and uh, uh, then uh, not had people on my podcast because I listened. To <laughs> like, this is what you wanted to present. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, no. Yeah. <laughs> um. So where can people find you? Um. If they're uh, they want to see your socials and all that kind of stuff. Um, I had a website for a while. It crashed and I never, I never figured out how to fix it. So, (laughs) um, but you can find me on both Instagram and Twitter at Lasersaurus, which is laser with a Z, which I know Mm -hmm. is not correct, but S was taken. (laughs) L-A-Z-E-R-S-A-U-R-U-S, like a laser dinosaur. Uh Oh, I will say uh, another thing that I did for a long time, and I don't think my name is even on it. I just did. Um, I got the URL stories about wizards.com uh-huh. and there for like two years, every week I would write another short story about a wizard. <laughs> so if that sounds like it's up your alley, definitely go to stories about wizards.com. I don't make any money for it, but it uh-huh. does my heart good. Um, yeah. <laughs> I also have a podcast called, do you know what time it is with David Britton? Okay. Where my friends pretend to call me in the middle of the night and wake me up. So it's me constantly being like, you hear the phone ring and me being like, huh, what? And then one of my friends would be like, Dave, I just uh, bought a whole box of popsicles and I think they're going to melt. What should I do? And I'm like, I don't know. It's 3 a.m. And then they'll hang up and then my next friend will call. So that's called Do You Know What Time It Is? It's on all the regular stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, so listen to that. That would be great. Yeah, I, I'm gonna have to check that one out. I didn't, I uh, didn't see that when I was uh, doing my internet stalking of you. So I'll have to make sure I, I make a note to listen to that. Yeah, I hope you, I hope you like it. I want people. It's it's fun, and it was a way during the pandemic to connect with my friends. And so, yeah, I hope I hope you like it. Yeah, well, I really, really enjoyed having you on the uh, podcast, and uh, I, I, um, I wish you the best of luck because you know you're, you're definitely unusual. You, you, you've, oh, you've got, you. you've, you've got a really unique point of view, and I just, I, 
I can't tell you how much I uh, love listening to that album, and I can't believe I sat on it for like a year before I listened to it. Well, they, so, so did the label. It like yeah. sat around for you. <laughs> That's the thing. Uh, we can't get into it now because we're at the end. But like, yeah. I, they were so sweet to put it out. It was really great. But it was uh. also like, you know, there was a bunch of people ahead of me, so it took a while to come. Out. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, I want to say that this was really fun for me too. Like, I guess I love talking about myself. But yeah, yeah. No, I, you're a great host and like very uh, nice and generous. So it was, this was really fun. Well, thank you, thank you. I re- I really enjoy doing this and and meeting folks like you. So thanks thanks for being on the show. All right, thanks.